0: All right, friends, can you open up your Bibles? We'll be in three different texts today. We'll be in John 14 first, and then we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and then we'll be in Galatians chapter two. John 14, 1 Corinthians 15, and then Galatians chapter two. If you recall, uh, we have taken a, a break from our extended Romans series that we've been teaching in to consider what it means to be us, what it means to be the church. And we've done that for a couple of reasons. One, because it's always good to remember the foundational realities of who we are as a people, not only in membership as we've just kind of talked about, but in our everyday lives as followers of Jesus. Not only that, but many of you are new to Church in the Square, and so I hope that it will be helpful as we look at some core realities of who we are as the people of God, that, that for you it will give clarity about what we believe the scriptures teach we're supposed to be, who we are, and what God's called us to. Uh, And then lastly, we're making some changes to our gathering as we've progressively done so here uh, at Church in the Square and our gathering comes September 12th. And so we want to take some time over four weeks to consider what God's word has to say so that we as a community would understand that these ideas are not coming because they're pragmatic or because we saw another church do them and thought it was a cool idea, but ultimately because we have conviction from God's word about what it means to be us. And so I, I trust that that will be helpful. And so last week we looked at that Jesus is the head of the church and particularly that Jesus builds the church by dying for the church. And the reason that we begin there is that anytime we make decisions as a church community, we should say, what does Jesus have to say about that? What is it, how does Jesus instruct us in that? We, we should be about the things Jesus says in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, the things that he has taught. And so if Jesus didn't teach it, we should be very careful about holding it with a tight fist as something that we're supposed to do as a community. Um, And so we looked at Jesus, the head of the church, and today we're going to look at the message of the church, and in the next two weeks we'll look at the people of the church and the purpose of the church. So first it was the head of the church, now today is the message of the church, and the next two weeks we'll look at the people and the purpose uh, of the church. And so let's not bury the lead. The the message of the church is the gospel. The gospel is the message of the church, but we're talking about a few different things when we talk about the message of, of the church, we're talking about who we follow. We're talking also about the story that we tell as a community and the story that we live and believe. And we're also talking about the way that we see the world. And so today, we're just going to take three movements in each of these respective texts in uh, John 14, 1 Corinthians 15, and then Galatians 2, we're, we're going to look at, at that the gospel is a person, that the gospel is a story, and that the gospel is a lens. All right? So the gospel is a person, the gospel is a story, and the gospel is a lens. Kids, are you getting that in the back over there? I'm looking right at you. I know. It's a lot of pressure, right? It's a person, it's a story, and it's a lens. Glory, Jedediah, did you hear this? It's a person, it's a story. And what else, G? You didn't hear that one. It's a lens. See, we're in this together. We're still discipling our children as well. But those are the things that we're looking at. We're going to look at that together. And remember, we're a family, So it's not just about what's taking place here. And the reason we've structured even the chairs as they are and and want the kids to be a part of this is that we're a family and families do things together. They learn things together. And so kids, if you make a joyful noise to the Lord in the next few minutes, that's that's good news for us. If one runs that way, especially if their last name Helveston, you you can stop them and say, are you okay? Does your mom or dad know that you're about to run out onto Fullerton Avenue? Because maybe we should get their permission first, right? We are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's not just a cool idea. That's our identity. And that's what we're looking at during these four weeks. Somebody is helping Nicole Luna. She's, She's not a part of my blood family, but she's part of my church family. She was helping Levi over there a minute ago when I had to go check on something else. That's what we do. This is what we do. You may not get every idea or every particular moment of this sermon, but I'll repeat it as often as I can, that the gospel is a person, the gospel is a story, and the gospel is a lens. And in order to understand that and really live that out, we're going to need God's help, right? And so we need to do that by way of going to him and asking for his help in prayer. So let's do that now. Let's pray, ask for God's help as we come to his word. Heavenly Father, we are an easily distracted people. And not just in this moment, but I can just think of countless things I gave my attention to this past week that were not things you, you called me to consider and to, to, to anchor my hope or my day or hours and give my time and attention to. And so, Father, I pray, even in the stillness of a moment of prayer, would you center our souls. I pray that for my sisters who have been hustling this week. I pray that for my brothers who have been distracted this week. I pray that for us as a church family, as we learn what it means to be us. Would you help us to know we don't do that because we learn the right ideas about God and about ourselves. We do that because your spirit brings people together and what you bind together cannot be torn apart. And so grow us today. Help us to become more the people you're calling us to be today. And we know that you do that by helping us to see sin. I, we know that you do that by uh, bringing conviction and correction, but we also know that you do that by comforting us and by reminding us of your deep and abiding love for us. And so, Father, may your love, may your care, may relationship with you settle us today as your people in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of changes at work, in the middle of anxiety in our families and transitions all around us, Father, settle our souls in the deep and abiding affection of our Heavenly Father. Would you do that for our good and your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Everybody agreed and said, amen. So first we'll look, the gospel is a person. And Jesus warned his uh, disciples and they were about to come to a pretty trying season uh, of their lives. And he wanted to prepare them for this. He wanted to encourage them in this. uh, And and he does so in John 14. Look at John 14, verse one. He says, let not your hearts be troubled, Believe in God, believe also in me, and my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Now, Jesus often said pretty mysterious things, Not, not because he was saying things Uh, intentionally to confuse people, but because in order to fully understand Jesus, you needed faith and relationship. And so if you didn't have faith and relationship with Jesus, a lot of the things that he would say would be completely lost on you. And so often what Jesus would do when somebody was confused or thought something he said was mysterious was to draw them out in faith or to draw them into relationship with him so that they would understand. Now, if you did not want to believe or you did not want relationship with him, you would remain in confusion. And so Jesus says something actually quite mysterious here. He he says that he is going to his father. He is saying that he is going to prepare this place for them. And and his disciples, his first disciples, were utterly kind of dumbfounded by this. And and here, I'm not making this up. Look at verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? So Thomas was not simply uh, confused by the fact that Jesus was talking about his father and that Jesus was talking about his house. But what does Jesus say in verse 4? You know where I'm going. You know where I'm going. And so how in the world, his disciples were saying, how in the world could we know where your father is? How in the world could we know how to get to his house? How in the world, in other words, do we know how to get to heaven? And so they're they're, they're confused by this. They're uncertain by this. They can't quite figure out exactly what Jesus is getting at. You see, this should strike us just as oddly as it would have struck his original disciples. What is Jesus saying? How can we know how to get to the father? How can we know where the father's house is? How can we know how to get to heaven? And Jesus even says, you already know this. You already understand this. And so in Thomas's confusion, he asks this question and Jesus famously responds. Look at verse six. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through what does it say, me, except through me. What Jesus was helping his disciples understand is that they already knew the Father because they already knew him. They already knew the way because they already knew him. They already knew how to get to heaven, quote, unquote, because they already knew him. They knew how to get to the Father's house because they already knew the Son. Are we picking up yet on what Jesus is throwing down? He's not saying you know because you're special, He's not saying you know because you have taken the class. He's not saying you know because you have a particular kind of knowledge that you have memorized and recited and regurgitated appropriately. He's saying you know all that you need to know because you know who? Me. You know me. Today we're going to talk about the message of the church. And often we belittle the gospel. We belittle the message of the church because we believe or maybe we rush ahead to the content of the message. What are the words that we put together that are exactly the gospel message, the gospel words that we're supposed to say? But what Jesus is helping his disciples understand is that the gospel ultimately is not about the words or the content only, but about the word made flesh first and foremost. Not merely about some words that we're supposed to recite and regurgitate to others. It goes beyond human language, or as one writer has put it, that ultimately what Christianity is is not an airtight argument to believe, it's an airtight person to know. It's not an airtight argument to believe, but an airtight person to know. See, in Jesus, we know the way to the Father. In Jesus, we know the way to eternal life. In Jesus, we know the truth. In Jesus, we know the gospel. And this is what he interacts with with Philip after he talks to Thomas. Because Philip is also kind of dumbfounded. Like, what, what exactly are you talking about? He says, if you know me, you know my Father. And here's what's really good news for us. Philip is still confused after Jesus has been repeating himself for a very long time. And Jesus is, in some respects, a a little bit, uh, dare I say, irritated. He's like, have have you not been with me this whole time? Like, have you not been listening this whole time? This is how Jesus responds to him in John 14. And isn't it good to know that that your father, that, that our God, that Jesus himself, the son, is so patient with us? That even after he has repeated himself over and over and over again, he is willing to say it again. He is willing to reveal truth to us again. That our God is so gracious that he repeats himself. And what is he saying? That the gospel is a person. And so my brothers, my sisters, the gospel is not something that we need to make sure that we study and that we research first and foremost and get all of the information right. First and foremost, we need to see that the gospel is a person who loves you, who is with you, who reveals truth to you. And so when we are in despair, when we're frustrated, yes, we should go to God's word, but what does God's word reveal to us? Jesus. And so this is why we always ought to be talking about Jesus, because the gospel, our message is a person. Do you see? If this is true, we do not just have words to meditate on, we have a person to look at. We have a person to be in relationship with. We have someone to know. Are you with me yet in this? But we don't just have the gospel as a person. So the gospel is a person, but the gospel is also a story. Turn to the right to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You go through Acts, Romans, and then you'll get to 1 Corinthians. If you get to 2 Corinthians, go back to the left. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, read this way. Now I would remind you, brothers of the gospel, I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word, I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised and on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas then to the 12. So there's that word gospel. So Paul is saying in this particular case that there was something that he said, there was something that he preached. So the gospel is a person, but the gospel is also a story. And that word gospel is in, in the Greek is the word euangelion. And it was a word that Paul took from common parlance or from common culture. It was a word gospel or good news or proclaiming good news that already was in circulation in the day. And the good news of the day was that Caesar is Lord. That Caesar is Lord. And so the gospel, by its very definition, is a response to the lie that Caesar is Lord. It's a response to the political powers of the day. And so side note, church, my brothers and sisters... If you want a religion, if you want a faith that is apolitical and that is silent in the face of the news of the day and the pain of the day and the suffering of the day and the powers and the principalities of this day, if you want a faith that has nothing to do with those things and removes itself, you don't want Jesus. You don't want Jesus because Jesus came onto the scene as the good news, an affront, an assault to the political and powers of this world. That's the gospel. See, if if the gospel is a story, then the title is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. At the very basic level of what our story is, the title of that story, the summary of that story is that Jesus is Lord. But then Paul delivers what really amounts to about five movements. Five movements of this story. Of this gospel story that reveals the lordship of Jesus. Notice again in verses 3 and following. He says, for I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died For our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried that he raised on the third day and then ultimately by the time we get into verses like 25 26 27 he's talking about the ascension of christ and so if we if we can summarize the gospel story in five movements movements we would say that jesus lived that jesus died that jesus was buried that jesus rose and that jesus ascended and all of those together give a picture give a a witness if you will that jesus is lord that Jesus lived perfectly, in fact, that Jesus died sacrificially, he died in our place, that Jesus was buried literally, this was not a figment of the imagination of his followers, and that Jesus rose victoriously, and that Jesus ascended authoritatively, and so Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose, Jesus ascended, all of that together, what's the title? Jesus is Lord. That's our gospel story. So when we talk about the message of the church, we're talking about the person of Jesus who is the gospel. Jesus is the good news. But who is he? What is he like? That's when we go to the story. The story is that Jesus lived perfectly, never sinned. Jesus died sacrificially in our place. Jesus was buried literally three days, actually literally dead, that he was risen victoriously over Satan, sin, and death. Darkness had no rebuttal when light got up. That Jesus ascended authoritatively where now he rules and reigns over all things. He was not Lord when he was on this earth. He is Lord right now because he rules and reigns over everything. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's our message. The gospel is a person. The gospel is a story. And for many of us, that's where our understanding has stopped that I know it's about Jesus and I know it's about these movements in the gospel, this content that the scriptures teach, but turn to Galatians chapter two. The gospel is even more than this. So turn through 2 Corinthians and then you'll hit Galatians. Galatians chapter two. We'll pick it up in verse 11. This is Paul writing and recalling a story of his interaction with Cephas or Peter If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So the gospel is a person, the gospel is a story, and now this passage reveals to us the gospel is also a lens, a lens through which we're meant to see the entire world and all things. Now, let's make sure that we don't miss this story in its context. Peter is eating with Gentiles, non-Jews. And Gentiles and Jews had constant beef and tension with one another. They did not like each other. And as a group of prominent Jews come up, James himself, being sort of like one of the original leaders and authorities of the early church, is with them. Peter sees them coming and fearing Peter, or rather Peter fearing that James or maybe the others were going to judge him and think, hey, Levi, come here, buddy. And so Peter fearing that the Jews are going to judge him, are going to criticize him, are going to be fearful. Can you put your head down on daddy's shoulders until we... Are you going to be able to do this? Okay. Can you do this? No, not that. Can you put your head down on daddy's shoulder and wait just a second? Thank you. So So Peter worrying that he's going to be judged, that he's going to be criticized. What does the text say? Look at it again. He sees James coming. Love you, son. Nope, not that way. Go see mama. No, 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 no. <laughs> Give an inch, they take a mile. Look what it says in verse 12. It says, when, when, when Peter sees that these Jews are approaching close by, he begins to think to himself, what are they going to think? How are they going to respond? He drew back and separated himself. Let's not miss this. Peter, just moments ago, is willing to eat with and enjoy the company of other ethnicities, but he does not want to be associated with them. To their face, he's cool with them, but as soon as someone in power over him is coming towards him that he fears may judge and has power over him, he backs off because he doesn't want to be known with these people. Many of us can be willing to be with different people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic stratuses, right? But do we really want to be known with them? Do we want to be a people with them? Now, what is Paul actually getting at? Why is this a problem? Look what he says. He does not say, hey, that's racist. Don't do that, even though it is. He doesn't say that's small-minded. Don't do that, even though it is. He doesn't say you should be more courageous and not back off in the face of opposition, even though he should. What does Paul say about it? Look at verse 14. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Hear this. He he is saying to Peter, he is saying to you and me, that that kind of behavior is not just wrong, it is anti-gospel. This is not a side issue. This is a gospel issue that Paul is identifying in Peter's heart, in Peter's mind, in Peter's being. And he's not saying that you don't think Jesus is Lord, like your content is wrong. He's saying, you've you've forgotten that Jesus rose and died. He's not saying that you forgot the story. He's not saying you forgot the person. He's saying you're seeing the world through the wrong lens. You're seeing it through race. You're seeing it through power. You're seeing it through selfishness. You're seeing it through self-protection and self-assurance. You're seeing it through yourself. You're fearful for yourself. Are you picking up what he's throwing down? You're not seeing it through what? The gospel. The gospel is meant to be a lens through which we look at all of the world and we see it as broken yet redeemable. The gospel lens tells us that the world is broken without Christ, but it is redeemable through Christ. When when I look at the world through the lens of the gospel, then even my deepest realities of who I am as a person made in the image of God, whether it be my ethnicity, whether it be my gender, my sexuality, my, my own story of personhood, All of those things fall in due subjugation to the lordship of Jesus. In other words, when we look through the lens of the gospel, we realize that no one and nothing else is Lord except Christ. And we are supposed to respond and live in light of that reality. We live with hope. We live with conviction. We live with truth. We do not back away from the multi-ethnic table because we are worried we will be judged and criticized. We stand in the gap because God and Christ stood in the gap for us. We, we don't just like the fanfare of the multi-ethnic idea like perhaps Peter was like, this is fun to eat with people of other ethnicities. The food is different and I really enjoy this. Oh no, this might cost me my position. This might cost me my reputation and now I back off. He was disbelieving the gospel. He was not seeing the world through the lens of the gospel. So what does this mean for us? This means that we we don't just believe the gospel when we become Christians. What does Paul say about it? It It is the power that continues to save us and guide us and give us clarity about how to live our lives. And so we are to be a people who don't just say, do you believe the gospel? Okay, you're in. But no, the gospel is the way we encourage one another, disciple one another, correct one another, encourage one another, love one another, speak truth to one another. Are are you hearing me, church? The gospel is everything to us because Jesus is everything to us. See, the gospel is a person. Who is it? Jesus. Jesus. The gospel is a story. What's the title of that story? Jesus is Lord. The gospel is a lens through which we see all of the world is broken yet redeemable. In other words, sin has devastated everything, but Jesus' grace is sufficient. Let me just ask you this, church. Can you even imagine if we got that message? If it wasn't just something nice that we shared on the weekend, but a way that we lived as a people in in our work, in our relationships, in our marriages. What if in our marriages, the most fundamental thing In our marriage was the gospel. That we created gospel language of forgiveness in our marriages. That what if our children were learning from a young age? Not not if you do this, you get discipline, and if you don't do that, you'll get a treat. But they were learning to understand the gospel is a person, the gospel is a story, the gospel is a lens through which we see all of the world. What I think this means, if nothing else, is that we've got to be a people willing to be broken willing to be broken, or as one text teaches us, mold and made into the image of God as, as, as clay in the hand of a good potter. It means that we'll trust him more than our money. It means that we'll love each other more than we'll love the things of this world. It means that Jesus becomes more spectacular to us than any version of ourselves could be. It means that this story becomes the story we live our lives by and not the story that we wanna tell the world about ourselves. It means that this lens becomes the way that we see the world, not whatever hue or whatever kind of grid the world may offer to us. That takes a lot of work. That takes each other. But that's what it means to be us. And so let's ask for God's help in that. Father, left to ourselves, we live our lives for a different person. Left to ourselves, we live our lives to tell a different story. Left to ourselves, we see the world through a different lens. And so we thank you that through Christ, the gospel can be the way we see the world. The gospel is the story that we can start telling and the gospel can be Jesus Christ, the son of God, the one who set all things right. And so help us to be a people of the gospel with that message, not just something to say, but a person to follow, a story to tell and a way to see the world rightly. And so Father, I ask for your help in this, in Jesus' name. Amen.